Secrets, Secrets A to Z, uh, part two with Craig Bauer, Grammy awarded mix engineer, producer, um, pro audio wizard here. So welcome. Well, thank you. That's quite the intro. Again, off the, <laughs> off the top of my head, you know, I don't script these things out. <laughs> no, but I'm, you know, I've been a fan for a while now. You know, we've done a, a bunch of projects together, and you know, sending things back and forth. And I'm just astounded by your attention to detail. And you know, it became clear early on that both of us, you know, kind of like like to push things as far as we can. Is and and so it's been a really good thing. So we can talk about a bunch. Yeah, of stuff. Uh, cut from the same fucked up mold <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of that thing that like when you when you do this um for a living and or, or even if even when you're just doing it as a serious hobby it's it, you don't really have a choice it's something that you're born with and once you get that bitten by that let's call it the studio bug or gene there's just there's no escape for me it was you know early on playing in studios um with uh, bands and things and I would play to a click track with the drums and then I'd come back two weeks later and everything would be going faster than the, the, the click track, but everybody would say, wow, those drums sound draggy. And so right then and there, I knew that my life's mission was going to be to slow people down, you know, and, and get everything to groove right. So that was for me, my, you know, flashing light. And you discussed your flashing light last time when you were, uh, the first time you heard reverb, um, right. on the la last episode so that people can go back and hear that episode and see where your lights went off but today i thought we'd focus on some more um geeky fun stuff like talk about really you know interesting tools that we love to use and tricks you know tips and tricks you know that kind of you know real studio secrets type stuff so right uh, yeah let's talk a little bit about um one you've turned me on to some really cool companies um like let's talk about baby audio i, I love their stuff let's why don't you give me a little background on that how that came together uh, that's assuming I remember how it came together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it came from uh, using their stuff and posting about it as opposed to the other way around. I see. Um, I think I started with uh, tape, which is a, a yep. tape modeling plugin, and I was posting about it, and they were, uh, I think, reposting or retagging, and uh, I ultimately just reached out to them and uh, I think the next thing that uh, happened was they uh, hit me up and asked me if I'd be interested in demoing a, a new reverb plugin and, and seeing what I thought about it and seeing if I might be interested in uh, providing a quote, which I ultimately did. And then they were still in development and had asked me uh, to uh, put some presets together, which I I gladly did, and they incorporated that into the, into the release. So that's super and I think, cool. uh, yeah. And so it's funny when you go and you open up a plugin and start using it and go and start using your own presets as if I couldn't reproduce <laughs> them. Wow, this is a good one. <laughs> Man, whoever did this one, they must really know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I gravitate towards your presets just because I know that I can trust them. <laughs> That's that's funny. <laughs> no, but that's better than hearing. Wow, what is this stuff? This this blows. <laughs> no, but that that they're the my two favorites are the um, uh, spaced out, and uh, and I guess crystalline is the reverb, right? They yep. are just phenomenal uh, devices. I mean, you can use them subtly, or you can get really nuts with them. And the way that they lock to the tempo, and it's just really easy to. Um, to find something super useful very quickly with it. And I love that. I love that. 
spaced out's really interesting because you know incorporating you know delay and reverb into the same plugin and the the way the wet dry balance uh kind of works uh in that plugin it, it takes a, a second to kind of get used to how it works but once you kind of figure it out it it, it it really does something that nothing else does in that kind of yeah kind it, of way. it really does it there's and it's really cool to automate what i like to do is automate um motion like you have that little circle where you have the little circle within a circle and you can automate like moves and stuff so say you have it like you know 30 percent well you don't i know you don't like to use anything other than 100 percent wet and bring it up on a, a vca or a you know a, a, a ox return ox return so like I, I i i do the faux pas of still doing uh, for certain things i'll still like cheat and you know do put it r- directly on the track yeah with automation stuff so why don't you tell a little, <laughs> talk, tell us a little bit about why that's not so good because I know you, I've, I've seen a lot of your posts about that. And I, I, I'm just lazy, so sometimes I find myself being too lazy to do it. But tell me some of the benefits of doing it the way you're talking Well, about. The, the most obvious reason is that you can clearly only put uh, one thing into that reverb. Uh, and certainly there's times where you want more than one element in a mix to go into the same verb to kind of create effect. But beyond that, the, the thing that I find... Uh, a little funky about placing a, a reverb or a delay directly on the track and just using the wet dry balance is that it's not quite as easy to dial it in to exactly what you're looking for and i don't know about anybody else but i tend to get mildly lazy about uh you know going in and, and really dialing it in in a, in a very specific kind of way so that the wet dry balance is perfect, perfect. yeah and the uh you know, and I've got a big console here, so when it's on a, a uh, an aux return, that fader is generally sitting right in front of me. So it's easier to automate. It's easier to you know get the balance right as, as opposed to just saying, yeah, oh, it's good enough. Yeah, I see. I so, see. That makes so sense. Yes, yeah, so the console yeah, it, thing it, is different. Yeah, and the the interesting thing or the thing that I find with reverb is, and there are times where I will put a reverb directly on a track, but there's kind of a for me a big difference in the end result of what reverb di- directly on a track sounds like as opposed to on an aux end. And the way I like to think of it is if you want something to, if you want reverb added to a track, let's say you want to add reverb to a vocal, you use an aux end and return, find the sound that you like, find the verb you like, and then, you know, push that, create the send, find a level uh, of the send, and then slowly add the reverb, you know, using, using a fader to the uh, direct sound. And eventually you find the right balance, you find the right level. The The difference between, for me, of putting a reverb directly on a source track is the way the direct audio lives inside of the reverb as opposed to being added to the reverb, or, you know, being the reverb I being see. added to the sound. So you get kind of a, a much different yep. uh, approach and, and sonic thing with the Got direct it. sound, you know, living, you, living inside the verb. Sure, no, I get that. And and the other thing is, you know, when you're bringing in a, a, on a return, you can EQ the boominess out a lot easier and, and, you know, and get some rid of some of those crispy, like, you know, things that are going to make the S's go, you know, stuff yep. like that. So yep, that's a good point. And, and one other thing to add along those same lines is that I think a lot of, a lot of times people are sort of afraid to, like you don't, it doesn't seem like you should have to EQ a reverb or add some sort of dynamics processing to a reverb, but it gets really interesting when you take a reverb or delay and you start processing it 
in either subtle ways or dramatic ways and get sounds that the reverb alone would can't do or wasn't intended to do and start getting sounds that just uh stretch the 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 creativity of what that effect will do oh that's super cool now that that's good yeah it's making me feel like i need to do more of that that because i (laughs) you know um yeah I, i tend to be like you know you tend to be like i'm gonna stick a reverb on here i'm sure it'll be great yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah or it's like oh this preset that i've used like 10 times uh definitely will work you know yeah and here's an interesting thing i think or as we're talking about presets i don't ever save presets of of a sound i like on a reverb or delay and as you're talking about i'm going well that's dumb why don't i do that (laughs) <laughs> well, it's a good starting point. You know, have yourself some nice starting points. Like a lot of times I'll have like 20 or 30 favorite starting points, you know, and that's like, you know, sure, I'm going to dial it in for the song, but. Yeah, it's it's probably a good idea. And I'm now I'm scratching my head wondering why I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that starts today, the minute this <laughs> podcast is over. <laughs> Another studio secret told. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's funny. talk about some of your other favorite um, plugins uh, that you've been kind of into as of late, let's say, this year. So I have sort of my default go-tos for your basic everyday. You know, when you think about mixing on an analog console, you don't have 30 EQs to choose from. You've got what the what, what the EQ that's built into the console. So uh, I kind of think of mixing in, in, in the box in a similar kind of way where I have my default EQ. Uh, that sure. is just, just one on every, the, every channel. Yeah. Well, the, the you know, uh, a parametric EQ with five bands and high pass and low pass. And it, it does easily 90% of the work to get whatever sound you need. And then everything else is, uh, a boutique flavor, yep. um, that you use to create something, you know, like whether it be an API or an Eve module or Poltecky thing that, you know, has character to it that, yep. you know, your, your basic standard transparent, parametric eq doesn't do so uh my my go-to is uh dmg equilibrium it's amazing sounding eq uh works really well it has a visual display of the frequency response in real time which can be really helpful so if you're wondering well what is that ugly resonance uh what frequency is that at and you can go well that's a annoying uh, 800 thing that is clearly uh three times louder than it should be so uh and i was turned on to that by uh uh, a couple of mastering engineers in LA that uh, started using it and said you should you should try this and it uh, cool has be- definitely become my go-to. I don't know that one. Have you done any? Do you ever use the Fab Filter stuff? I use the Fab Filter stuff all the time. Uh, I use the DSer quite frequently. I use uh, the Dynamic EQ quite a bit. Uh, there's two different Dynamic EQs I like to use. Fab Filters one of them. I use the compressor all the time. Yeah, they make great stuff. Yeah, I like that. Like a lot of times, with, especially with certain female vocals, that you have that like three, two, three k honk that like when you turn it up really loud, it really it hurts your ears. I'm dealing with that right now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, have you fe- you know other than like doing an audio suite and like literally going in on words and and EQing words separately, um, have you found that the like like a, an automated uh, you know like dynamic uh, like the Fab Filter um, has a, does a good enough job that you you don't have to go word by word. Um, or I know you and you probably do go word by word sometimes. Uh, I tend to do that, uh, but. I'll certainly start with uh, using a dynamic EQ, and like I said, the uh, Pro MB is more often than not the one that I, I go to. The thing I like about the two different dynamic EQs, um, 
And for those that are wondering what a dynamic EQ or dynamic compressor, it's obviously just EQing uh, dynamically, or it's a compressor on certain frequencies that you can dial in. And the thing I like about the Fab Filter one is that depending on the bands that you're choosing, you can you can have the the bands separated away from each other, so you can have something happening in the low mid, and then engage a different uh, a different band on a high upper mid or a different frequencies, and keep those two bands completely separate from each other, so that it's not connecting together and creating a one really wide range uh, dynamic EQ. But if you start, if you get them really close to each other, the, the bands really close together, then they'll lock together and create two bands that uh, have a crossover between the two bands. I see. So that, that, that's really uh, an, an interesting one. It ends up in every single mix, but more often than, let's talk about a de-esser because a, de- a de-esser is really just a dynamic EQ that sure. uh, is stuck, you know, within a particular upper mid to high frequency range that's all a de really is and more often than not i find myself lately w- with a de it's depending on the vocalist uh every s in in a song in a vocal or or the over sibilance yep. can be dramatically different from one word to the next yes and so no one de-esser seems to get the job done in a way that I can live with. So yeah. I, I tend to dial in a sort of a general setting, and then the the S's that are really extreme, then you have to go in manually and sort of uh, use clip effects if you're in Pro Tools to chill out the S and to turn yeah. the level of that S down, clip gain it down, and change the frequency response, roll off some, you know, yeah. uh, low pass to make it all work together. It's painstaking. It's, yeah, and pain, painstaking is a good word because it's painful to sit there and word by word start EQing S's. Yeah, that's a lot of work. It's the same. What about breaths? How do you treat breaths? If they're natural sounding, I leave them in. If they're really loud, I'll I'll separate that region and turn the breath down. Um, so often you get vocals from other people where they're not paying attention in the same way that a mixer has to pay attention, and so you get uh, punches in the middle of a breath, or they'll punch at the end of a phrase and. The, the the breath is left over uh, from from the other one on the other side of it, and it doesn't quite work and match correctly. Oh, that, so you, that can be annoying, yeah. Uh, and it's the same painful, painstaking process of having to edit a lot of vocal tracks so that when you mix it, it, it doesn't become annoying. Yeah, that's it's a lot of work to prep. You know, you you think about the, the it's it's know. an amazing amount of work to to do, and one would hope that the artist or the producer of the track would want to deliver something where that isn't so prevalent and obnoxious that it reflects on them poorly. I hate to say that, but uh, if I were, you know, if I was strictly a producer and I was delivering tracks to a mixer, I wouldn't want those kind of things being sent along because it it shows a lack of, A, it's embarrassing. It shows a lack of respect for the other, for the mixer's time. Uh, a million and one different factors. Well, this this is op- this opens like another topic immediately for me, and um, uh, is that you know the work ethic of people you know coming up in the business now seems a lot different. Like the one the, the the people that succeeded in the business, like if I go way back to some of the you know two or three assistants that I've had that that went on to do really real world things and the, the, those people are such a rare breed you know it's like you we used to get interns you know all the time and it's, it'd be like literally 92 percent of them don't work out because people just don't seem to have that the gene i talked about that that studio gene where they they just want to dive in and and have pride 
in, in every aspect of it. And that's, I feel like people like yourself, even me, like we're a little bit oldsters. We've been doing this a long time. We're not getting that kind of love and care put into the tracks that are being delivered to us uh, quite often. And it's, I don't think people are malicious or, or, or lazy. I think there's, there's a lack of um, experience and education in this world, and which opens another that topic that we talked about, whereas people are saying, "Yeah, it's okay to break all the rules. It's okay to send a distorted master to mastering." You know, that's it's that's the vibe. You know, the vibe. You know, is one thing, but I mean, there are certain ground. You know, there's ground zero where things are done. You know, and I dare say the word right. You know, uh, and uh, yeah, I get. <laughs> no, I get, you, you know. could say the word right because it's fair to say that it's. Uh... I, there's definitely an obvious distinction between right and wrong, and I think and and like what, what you said about it the the other day was uh, you can't really break the rules unless you know what the rules are. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> first you have to know what the rules are. You have to know how to abide by the rules. Then you could break the rules. But to break rules that you don't know exist or don't care, you know, I, I don't, don't know understand. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a problem that all mixers I think are running into when they get these tr these projects with like you know two three hundred tracks, and people are like, uh, you know, they they do like you know they got playlists stacked on top of each other. And it's like, oh yeah, just figure it out. Take your favorite one. No, you take your favorite one and put it on the top layer, and then I'll you know, I'll work with it. You know, creates this an enormous amount of um, busy work instead of the creative work. Yes, and the and that, and that it's draining because all that time spent you know i i just did this online workshop literally before we got on here talking about mix prep and talking about template all the stuff we're now talking about and kind of explaining what it takes these days to prep a mix properly and all the uh, extra work that one has to do in order to have it you spend all this upfront time so that when you get to the creative part to the actual mixing part uh, you're not bogged down with all these because it's yep. it's draining and it, it, it there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much attention you can pay to a, a track and if you spend half that track fixing instead of mixing, yeah, the mix just can't come out as good as it should. Yep. Uh, here's a, another interesting point um, because you and I are kind of cut from that same mold. One of the problems that I don't know if you find this, but um, one of the problems I run to is someone someone will send me a track to mix. And it's kind of riddled with cleanup that still has to happen in order to really mix it right. And whether or not they know about that or not, it's it's hard to guess. But when you, as the mixer, go in and start doing all that cleanup, and then you send a finished mix to somebody, and, and they hear how clean the mix got because of all this upfront work you did, uh, it's been my experience that people do even less of it when the next song comes around <laughs> because they're like, oh, well, I don't need to do this. He's going to do it all. It's going to sound better than if I do it. Right. So, you know, uh, in a way that's you, a compliment because it's like, wow, this guy's great and it, he's going to make it better. But at the same is, time, but, yeah. Yeah. At the same time. Uh, sorry, dude. That's really your job, not mine. Yeah. There's, there's so many things. I've been some, some of my mix engineer friends are just like, you wouldn't believe how many drum sets I get that have like only one overhead <laughs> or, or you know or, or one room mic and it's like how are you supposed to you know create a stereo ambience on a drum kit you know so these are like simple things or people that like they just do one guitar in the chorus instead of doubling it these are like basic basic things that well that, that, that kind of lands into the into the producer 
yeah. uh, production thing is more so than the mixing thing. And being an expert at production and being an expert at mixing, I don't think you one often finds someone who's an expert at both of those things simultaneously. Yeah, that's why you have a lot of team team, you know, mixing and uh, production teams in in the in the world of you know going way back. Everybody from you know, like takes take Mutt Lang and Nigel Green or like Mitchell Froom and Tad Blake or you know you. You know, there's a lot of uh, over the years. There's been a lot of uh, teams. You know, so, I know, uh, I don't. I mean, as a musician, I think it's a, personally. I think it's uh, extremely important if you're a mixer to be a musician. I I find that there's kind of a weird disconnect between calling yourself a mixer and not playing an instrument and understanding theory and harmony and ba- basic you know sort of musicality or uh, stuff with and, and calling yourself a mixer because it's hard to make smart decisions about a song if you don't understand music on a intellectual level so to speak That's and interesting. I, I as a mixer who studied a whole lot of music as I, I grew up playing classical piano I studied music in college was a piano major and I know that I get music extremely well and I understand production but I I don't make a good producer because <laughs> it's that's just not where my focus and skill level is and it would take it would take me forever to produce a track and get it anywhere near what you do oh. uh, and I don't under, I don't know what it is that you do because I've never seen it I've only <laughs> heard it but I know that if I tried to recreate that uh, on my own time I'd still be working on the uh, <laughs> the uh, ping pong track from th- three years ago. <laughs> Oh man, it's you know what's funny that you know I don't even understand what I do. Recently, we um, there's, there's an incredible record that we're working on now. It's, it's a band called Electric Lecture, and they have a podcast. And I heard the podcast that we they did with us, and I listened back to it. And it was, I was learning stuff about myself because I'm like I don't think about any of this stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's what I do. You know, it's weird because you know it, it's like it's instinct, you know, and it, I never actually heard myself talk about it. So it's kind of a new kind of awareness. I feel like I'm coming into later in life here is by, you know, opening up, you know, the back of my mind and, and how can I share this with, with young people and, 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 you know, share ideas and perceptions and, you know, it's from, yeah, it's, it's a whole new thing. So I think, uh, for me, the, the musical part of what I do, uh, the creative part is, you know, getting EQs and getting dynamics and getting a blend and picking a reverb and delay is, is one thing. Uh, I, from the creative standpoint, I like to take it to the next level and find moments musically that uh, need to happen to really make the song interesting and really build upon what the producer did. And sometimes that means creating a drop that I feel really improves, you know, taking the drums out in the, you know, the first bar of the second verse to create a moment uh, from, and, and someone would say, well, you're sort of crossing the line between mixing and production um, and, and finding those kinds of moments. I think that's what, uh, where the musicality comes in. But I was mixing a track for another friend of mine in LA, uh, a couple days ago. And there was a moment, uh, in between the bridge and the vamp course where there's a, a big drop and there's a two bar, uh, a two bar thing. And it, the second bar of the drop had just a big drum fill with nothing else going on underneath it and I kept listening to this thing and it just didn't quite feel right yeah and I'm like um it could have been ha- like it, it that 
drop instead of two bars for the longest time felt like it should only have been one bar coming out of the bridge and just do this big fill because it was just too long of a period of time to have nothing and so i ended up you know grabbing a part of a pad from down into in i think it was a pre-hook and moving it over into this two-bar phrase and then i added a big mallet roll cymbal thing going on so that the drama on the second half of this drop um made it work and well, those, yeah that's that's important that's that stuff is i mean but it is crossing what, the line between production and mixing but yeah it, but what, what i really wanted to do to be completely and i almost did i came i came this close I'm holding up two fingers tightly squeezed together. Okay. <laughs> I came Podcast. this close to uh, saying, you know what? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't. It shouldn't be just a simple, you know, a, a regular old acoustic tom fill, and because this track kind of blurred the lines between uh, organic sounds and like, very know, like- and very pop sounds uh, from a programming standpoint. And what I wanted to do was say, this isn't right, and send you a bridge <laughs> and the out hook and say, stick something in here that makes that work and leave, leave me out of it. <laughs> and I, I came this close to calling you. I would have done it for you. <laughs> uh, no, these are, these are, you know, decisions that, you know, people, you know, pr- appreciate like during their mix. And like most, most of the time, th- those kind of things really elevate, you know, the, the, the listening experience. And you're right. Like something, you know, you you something that's just flat like for three and a half minutes a lot of times it's like you're, you're falling asleep by the second verse so you, you know you do need these moments to wake 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 up get the message you know bring focus to different yes. things you know? dare, dare i say i think i believe personally that makes the difference between a good mixer who's technically good at getting sounds and picking right reverbs and making eqs and dynamics work and a great mixer who finds moments on top of all that. You know, going back to that story I just said with uh, trying to create this moment where this drum fill didn't feel right, it was one of 50 things that I ended up doing from uh, that creative standpoint of muting things. There was a guitar part where it's kind of a a real high single note, uh, funky kind of thing, and it had an answer, which was like a, a, you know, an octave lower on a more uh, distorted kind of sound fuller thing. And that one was kind of the answer to the other one, but the the higher funky thing played right through the answer. So it would, it would play, it would play the, the question and yeah. both things would answer and they fought each other a little bit. And so I'm, I muted the funk guitar every time the answer played so that your focus could go only to the thing that it was really meant to and the i sent it the all the mix to the client and he goes what what did you do to make you know because you didn't and you couldn't even tell what it was uh, that was done to make it all work better and yeah. i said well i i muted the funk guitar when its distorted answer was playing and it just opened up all this space that's uh, so good that's so great that's important stuff and you know it, it comes from wisdom and experience you know it's like you know when we're young we tend to have a million things going on at the same time and in you know i listened to some productions i've done you know even 10 years ago and it's like wow i had all that going on at the same time you know it's it's easy to get wrapped up in all your sounds and go i love that Ooh, i love that i love that i love that i love that let's just leave it all on but as you get older you start to realize that leaving the spaces 
and letting things be emphasized is really what it's all about, you know? The, you can only focus on so many things at the same time, right? You've got a million different parts playing and you, your attention to what's happening in the track is going to go to the, it should go to the thing that's most important at the moment. And if you have seven things all fighting each other for attention, then your attention goes nowhere. Uh, yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't know what to listen to, and it's a it's a hard lesson to learn, especially if you're the guy who did the production, because you're you tend to be married to everything you put in, thinking it's it's everything is of equal importance. Um, right. Yeah. You know, that's that's something that took me a very long time to understand. Um, you know, and looking at some of our heroes, like I mean, I, it's probably old fashioned, but like somebody like say David Foster, who has like nine million tracks playing, but like they're all perfectly where they need to be and they and everything is just like oh my god how does he do that you know it's like that's a mixture of like somebody who's got an incredible musical background but also understands songwriting on a very high level uh, and knows where to emphasize and you know highlight and you know make things come out true it's funny that you bring up foster uh the younger crowd's probably going who the hell is Who's David that? foster uh and if they only if they only, they they know all the work they just didn't know that one guy did it all yeah um but uh to bring him up talk about a collaboration between uh a producer and a mixer between foster and umberto Gatica or Gatica. Yeah. i don't know yeah. how to pronounce his last name yeah uh he did nearly all of foster's uh mixes and it's just, he's not, he's not a, a name known like, say, Serban, which, yeah. you know, if, if you're in this game and you mention the name Serban, who, you know, practically mixes every major label smash hit on the planet. Uh, but going back to Umberto, here's a guy with incredible skill, incredible musicality, mixed some of the biggest records on the planet and, and doesn't uh, quite have or never did quite have the mystique of, say, a guy like Serban. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, but, yeah. But the the what the two of them did together, uh, from Chicago Monumental. records, oh, yeah, yeah, to uh, unbreak my heart, to I mean, uh, just incredible stuff. Yeah, it's it's you know I, I grew up listening to that stuff and it was just always awe inspiring. I mean, especially all those chords, you know, that he has like the the third in the bass and all those crazy, yep. <laughs> you know, all all those, you know. But it's like you know the third and, in like, the bass, it, funny, yeah, uh, that's like the the signature Foster thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but it's, you know, it's super cool and it can be used. It doesn't have to be cheesy. Like a lot of people, super hip indie rock people would be like, oh my God, that stuff's so cheesy, you know, but um, there's ways to use stuff from that school in, in a more, you know, indie hip way, you know, it really, there really is. I mean, I believe there is. One of the things that's hard to teach people and it's hard to teach myself and I, I, it's something I'm slowly trying to understand is the decision making process um you know you could do a workshop just on making decisions because like in a course of producing a song you are literally making hundreds of decisions a day i mean and it's like i think a lot of people have trouble saying okay this this has to be done like okay i'm gonna take i'm gonna do five takes of this and then i'm gonna right away i'm gonna pick all the best pieces from those five and pull them down into one track and then move on to the next thing. You know, that's where a lot of people just don't have a, a, a governor that says, okay, yeah, I got to move on to the next thing. And they just don't move on to the next thing. And then the next thing you know, there's, you talk to people that have been working on songs for six, seven, eight months, you know, and I, I've done that myself. I'm just talking about like clients, you know, and they, they're like, how did you do that? Like I've, we've had clients come to us and they're like, 
they've been working on a project for like three years and they can't finish it. And then they come to us and we finish it like, and they're like, oh my God, this feels so good to get it done. <laughs> that would so, be me if I yeah. was a producer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is decision making is a, is a, it's like another whole thing. I mean, I feel like we could do a workshop just on decision making and analyze, you know, in real time how, how to make decisions. Because I think that's something that comes from more from experience. It's like, you can't just like write down a formula for making a decision. Um, but there, there are things that you can well, do. To... L- let me ask you, uh, I'll, I'll ask you the question. Okay. Um, how is it, uh, how do you make, how do you personally come to decisions on a, on a particular thing? Because what, what I find is that I have to kind of get as a mixer, kind of have to get to the end and then work a little bit backwards yep. to figure out what's working and what's not working and then start re-looking at some decisions to see if it really was the best choice. Um, I get so that. What, okay. What, what, well, what, what is your route okay. to... Well, there's, there's, I feel like there's like three main categories. Like there's gut instinct and like, let me give an example. Say you have this piano part in the chorus and then you want a synth part that's not really a pad but maybe something with a mixture of whole notes and like some kind of partial arpeggio or something to accent this thing and give it a little motion so you start going through plugins you know different uh, soft synths or hardware synths whatever and you, you know you know the drill click next patch next patch <laughs> next patch next patch and you could literally sit there for six hours listening to about four thousand different patches and I'm not going to say that I haven't done that, <laughs> but, but, but now I, it, it's like, I, there's something that goes off in my head when I hear the one that I think is it. I'm like, got decision. Let's just do it. That's it. Let's go. You know? And it, otherwise, you know, if you keep wanting to push to the next patch, you know, for, for the next six hours, you're never going to get anywhere. So let's call so, that gut decision. It's one thing with picking sounds. What about analyzing parts? Yep. and ultimately coming up with what you feel is the best part. That's a good one. Um, and I've sometimes I'll do like literally 20 takes of a certain approach on a, say, a guitar sound or whatever. And a, a lot of times I don't make the decision um, right then and there. This is like the second category. This is where you stack up a bunch of potential things on top of each other and then move on and then come back to it with fresh ears and quickly go through five or six of those and see if anything makes you go, Ooh, that's it. You know? And if, if it, if it does, then you, you grab that, you know, and then, then you can go back and, and actually open the part up and, and approach the part with, you know, the magic, you know, that's, so, I mean, that would be like a second category where you're kind of like, uh, you know, you're, you're, I call it finger painting, you know, you're, or painting for gold, you know, you're looking for that thing to happen. And then when it, when it finally moves you in that way, that's when you make the decision that that's the direction, but it might not be at that particular moment. So we have gut instinct, a stack of possibilities that you decide on, you know, when, when you're ready. And the third one would be um, just, um, let me think, I had it I had it in the back of my mind, a decision where you just kind of go, you know, I'm going to go with it and see what happens. And, and not being uh, your gut instinct or, you know, analyzing over analyzing it but just it's like you're just making a decision to keep things moving and then later 
you you, you can decide right. if if Wait, it was that, the, that's yeah. that's the one I just described. So like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll make the decision. I don't know if it's the right one, so we'll that's, get to the end and go back and look. A lot of times, at the end of a a production, for instance, like I just I'll give you an example. I just produced something that had a, a lot of tracks for this wonderful artist from Boston, and um, you know. A lot of times when I'm making these productions and doing remote work with people, I'm building this thing, and then when you give it to the mixer, in this case, Cariati, they reinterpret it, and I, I like to give mixers like, a lot of rope. Um, to, to, to hang to, themselves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, to do their own thing. But then, you know, there's going to... And then getting away from it, I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's two elements, the syncopated percussion that's kind of clacky in the mid-range, in the chorus... Um, and the big, huge, booming, like, stereo uh, hits have kind of traded places. It's like I'm, I'm like, way more focused on this clacky, mid-rangey, syncopated stuff than I am on the big, simple, giant booms. Like, that's, like, that's like a decision that's like, look, man, we got to reverse this, like, role in, in the song. You know, and that, those types of things, you know, come usually at one to three days after you listen to something. I mean, I, I try to give myself a little space after you do a mix. It's not really good to listen to it like nine million times and make a decision that night on your way home. You know, you, you, you should go to sleep, put it away, work on something the next day. You know, give yourself some space because a lot of times things uh, are going to hit you in I literally ways. said this in, the, in my workshop two hours ago that the best time I've spent on the mix is not in front of the speakers. It's the time away. Because you get so used to hearing your own, your 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 own work and getting the demoitis from uh, your initial decisions, you put the mix away for a day or, or or you leave it up overnight, and you come back to it the next day and you hit play and you go, "What the hell was I thinking? <laughs> uh, uh, that is not right." Or, you know, yeah. some element is just blaringly wrong or EQ'd wrong. And it, it's not obvious until you get away from it. Uh, so yeah. the, the time away could be way more valuable than another hour spent sitting in front of it. That's super true. And you notice there's, it's funny how some tracks just everything falls into place and it's, it's, it's not a tedious process. And then other tracks might have a lot less elements and there's just always something missing and it nags you and nags you and nags you and you keep trying stuff and you, it just, it's, it, so there's no, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There is a certain amount of experience and instinct that has to come into play uh, when it comes to decision making. I think ultimately that's, that, that's my final decision on the decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, what other, what other uh, techie geeky stuff should we talk about? Pet peeves are great. <laughs> uh, other than not, uh, you know, for me, other than tracks that aren't cleaned up. Uh, yeah. That's, that's my, yeah. that's my biggest one. Uh, you know, here, here's, here's a pet peeve. <laughs> I, lo I, I love, uh, this, is, this is one of my favorite ones. Uh, I love when I finish a mix I think it sounds great. It clearly, like the mix is working. It clearly, clearly is, you know, working. You send it to the client and they take five minutes. I love it, man. It's killing. I, I didn't even realize it could sound. Oh, man, this mix is just killing. And there's, there's five minutes of telling you how much it's killing. And then they stop and finally say, there's just this one little thing that I want to. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, nope, you know, that'll take two seconds. Oh, and then when you go to the. And then, so, and then in the hook, if we could just like. And by the time they're done, uh, they've named 22 different, one tiny little things that, you know. 
<laughs> and oh, then you, yeah. you do all this, and you're like, you're kind of shaking your head going, okay, um, how did, amazing, it's perfect, everything's, I can't imagine it was going to be this good, turn into 20 tiny little things that <laughs> now takes you an hour and a half to, to do, and then you, you do those tiny little tweaks, and you send the mix back, and you get a phone call 20 minutes later, oh my God, it's perfect, I love it, everything is about it, it's great, but... Um, if you go back to the first verse, this other thing that, uh, yeah, and, and then they named 20 other things that they didn't name the first time around that weren't tweaked. <laughs> and by the time you're done doing that five times, you've remixed the entire tr- perfect track. <laughs> uh, that's uh, the, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, I've, I've run into a few of those. Not too many, luckily. <laughs> no, it, do, it doesn't happen often. And, you know, it's clearly not the mix. It's the... the, the person on the other end that uh dare i say doesn't really know what the hell they're listening for (laughs) well that's that's oftentimes people with less experience are likely to do that whereas i find the most the people with the most experience in the real world who've been doing it for a very long time they're the ones that have the least amount of changes yes because they a they produce the track that's ultimately going to make the mixed decisions very obvious so if you're good at what you're doing it's not like you're reinventing the track in the product you know you're not reinventing the production and then the comments they come and they're very succinct they're very clear and you can go in and 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 make these changes in a matter of minutes send it off and they're good because they they get it yeah that's those those are the the more experienced there's also the the idea of seeing the forest through the trees and then under i should say hearing the forest through the trees i suppose where there's there's the difference between something in a mix that's clearly not right or is eq'd wrong or or there's something or or a balance or an uh, an element in the mix that uh like you just mentioned uh was meant to be a featured thing or wasn't meant to be a featured thing and then and throughout the somehow you know the communication it came out backwards or yeah. it's some th- something's being featured that shouldn't and and fixing something glaringly that wasn't intended as opposed to some tiny little thing where it has absolutely no bearing on the quality of the mix or zero bearing on the quality of the song making uh getting the message across and expressing what the su- song is supposed to do and it's it's being so married to something that you did in a production that literally no one else is ever going yeah. to notice or hear. Yeah, that's that's that comes from experience realizing that because it's very easy to like that's the forest for the trees thing really because you know you're you're you're, you're focusing on minutia that nobody else is going to hear and in the grand scheme. Well, of li- literally no one else is going to hear and it doesn't make the mix better to change it to the well the hi hats on the left and I really wanted it on the right. Okay. Um, fine. <laughs> yeah, it's not, not going to change the quality of the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be like Ringo instead of uh... <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, no, that's a hi hat might have been a uh, hi hat might have yeah. been a bad uh, example yeah. because that no, but it's probably yeah, yeah. you get the point. Uh, yeah, there's you know, and there's things that are personal taste, like different mixers. Like I personally don't like like a floor tom and a high tom hands super super hard left and right when the drum fill comes by in headphones it's like like somebody slapping (laughs) the face around i mean i like it to be a little bit more natural and that's something like i've i've kind of battled with mix mix engineers sometimes over little things like that that i think that's more of like being you know i grew up as a drummer so maybe for me that's right but that that kind of lands more into right or wrong as opposed to just taste 
Yep. I mean, is there really a right or wrong? I mean, like, you know, well, if it's an organic yeah. drum set, yeah. uh, as you're listening, if you're listening in, let's say you're in a, in a reasonably sized, yep. you know, live room and you're standing 10 feet in drum, front of the drum kit <laughs> yeah. and so and he, the drummer plays a fill, it isn't going to sound like the high tom <laughs> came from the wall on the left side of the room. That's, so that's, 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 that's fabulous. You know, I never really even thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. You know, no, it's the, they're yeah. going to come from sounding from a, where you could almost can't tell any panning of, you know, here's, here's one of my pet peeves. Okay. It's singers that are afraid of consonants. You know, um, <laughs> and As, so they're all S's. It's all sibilants and nothing else. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, say you're gonna sing. You're gonna say uh, to a girl, you know, I'll find you. Okay, okay, but you don't put the D in. It's I'll find you. So like, suddenly she's getting a ticket. <laughs> you know. That'll it's be like, two hundred dollars, please. <laughs> <laughs> you no, don't I'm love me? That's gonna cost you. <laughs> I'm gonna fine you. No, but this is the kind of stuff that I deal with all the time. It's like important consonants are missing from words that make a difference in the story, and people don't always know what those words are. And on that same topic, sometimes if you hold a word way too long, it's like you're not gonna get to that consonant so that you can have any chance of a meaning. You know. <laughs> Right. It's like, do you really need to hold that for two and a half bars to say that, you know? And it's the, you know? Uh, the. Uh, no, no, I, these, I'm still <laughs> laughing at the example. I'll fine you. <laughs> Dude, I find these these in, in songs uh, constantly, funny. constantly. Sometimes it's a T, sometimes it's a Z, sometimes it's, you know, it, it's, you know, and I'll actually look for a better T or a better and, D and, and move, move it, it and fly it. I've done that yep. myself. Yep. Uh, the fun yep. thing is um, if it's the other way around and they're, and they really like consonants and by the time you get to the mix and you compress and put, you know, put two compressors on it, uh, you know, with yep. small rate, what was a nice, pleasant little K just turned into, you know, a building falling. <laughs> Ripping your head off. <laughs> yeah. <It's> your... <laughs> so, uh, the K that killed. <laughs> yes. So then you find yourself editing Ks down 3DB. Um, yep. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's another one. Sure. And then song doctoring in general, it's like, you know, sometimes like the pre-hook is like 16 bars. It's like, uh, you know, maybe the pre-hook should be like the four hook. bars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's get, let's get to the meat, you know? Right. You know, a lot, right. a lot of times, you know, meander, meandering or like 40 second intros, you know, and that works sometimes, you know, like in, especially in indie rock and stuff, you have these like big songs, like on Spotify, they have a, like 18 million plays and it's like a, you know, 40 second intro. So it's not that there's, you know, it can't be that, it, but it's just, you just kind of got to put it in context, you know, um, lyrics. Another thing, I had a whole list of words that I, I just won't allow in songs. <laughs> Such as? Uh, fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Well, that, they get away with it. See, the, all the good ones are already done. You that's, know? Why you, that's why you—that's why they have to be eliminated out of current yeah, yeah. songs. At this point, fire, higher desire. I really like to try to avoid that. You know, I mean, that's been done. It's been done. You know, I'm not saying that you know you can't record the song if it has that in it, but I'm just saying try not to be trite. Try to say something in a, in a, in a, a way that is interesting. You know, I mean, anyway. 
So the, we could so, go on pet peeves for like another hour. <laughs> right. So we uh, have to uh, we have to invent the word replacement plugin yeah. for vocal tracks. Yeah, it goes along with the de-ether. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, uh, that's funny. That that I'll, that's a story for another time. I can't do that on the podcast, but. <laughs> I thought it famous, was studio. Um, yeah, I thought it was yeah. studio secrets. I gave away a million yeah. secrets I wasn't supposed yeah. to give away the last time around. That's true. That happens. I'm sorry, but um, yeah, this one I didn't. I don't want to. I won't. I don't want to talk about the origin of the Deether. It's uh, <laughs> a very, very famous singer would be mad at me. Uh, of course they would. <laughs> but um, hey, this has been wonderful, man. It's like you know, we got to do this. Like I think you might be a regular guest here because uh, this is fantastic. Yeah, this could go on forever. No, I really enjoy these though with you. It's fantastic. I'm excited to do our workshop and more, more fun stuff together. It's been great to have you. Is there anything else you want to add to the to um, the end of uh, That's a good question. Yeah. Anything uh, I'm leaving out? <laughs> I'm sure there's a million and one things, but uh, that, that's that's why uh, we'll have to come back and do it again. We somehow yeah. seem to get uh, sidetracked from the super detailed, techie, geeky stuff to uh, yeah. more. There's no rules, man. You can distort your master. It's all good. <laughs> that's, it's a vibe, I, I, man. <laughs> I, I try to print my mixes more in the red than in the green. It worked better on analog when people had the meters covered, you know? Uh, um, well, and natural tape saturation doesn't sound like digital distortion <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do you think of clippers you know these things like these man i am so not into the idea first of all saturation is the most overused word in music production and mixing every i, I love going onto instagram and seeing these posts about saturation because it's lit i don't even know what that word means anymore it's used for so many different ideas yeah put a sap put saturation on it what, well what does that even mean anymore yeah are no, we it's are, true so or, or literally the the use of the word clipper doesn't now forgive me tell me if i'm wrong doesn't clipping mean digital distortion if you're mixing in the box I mean, I, know I it would doesn't. think so. I, I, I know, yeah. but it, it's a, another word for, you know, character uh, sat, saturation in, uh, you know, finding some character by overdriving something or other. But the, these words are, as far as I'm concerned, yep. they're too interchangeable, used way too often, and it becomes a meaningless, as far as I'm concerned, a, a meaningless term terminology and from from a mixing perspective well it's true and it's and especially when you talk about saturation in an analog way like all these plugins and all these things that are designed to get you that analog vibe you know it's like if you grew up in that era and you actually know what it sounds like it's it wasn't like something that sounded like there hadn't been a tech to adjust the azimuth right. in like six months. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, it was there. It was done in a response. Guys with lab coats came in and made sure the shit sounded good. I mean, th that's the difference. You know, you know, people like saying, I see these like certain like you know bedroom soul type you know projects where people are. This is like vinyl, man, and it's like the whole thing's going. <laughs> I said, that sounds oh, like that. a vinyl. That's a that's a record you left in the car in the sun. That's not the same. That's not the same. You know, I mean, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, wrong kind of vinyl. You know what I'm saying? There's just funny. a lot of terms. Well, what, one one of the we can get back yeah. to the geeky thing for two seconds. Uh, one of the things I like to do yeah. um, that actually does incorporate, if we're going to use the word saturation. Um, if a bass is recorded well and it's played well, so that it, and 
and the instrument is good so that you're not getting you know certain notes that have you know three times the resonance as the note next to it so that's got some weird frequency frequency response uh, when I when I get a bass part that's done well it's super interesting to instead of compressing the living crap out of that bass and sticking it in the mix uh, whatever tiny bit of EQ it may need I'm uh, you may do or I may do like a hair of compression like you know low ratio kind of thing so it's not squashing the living life out of it but then in parallel using a send and return send it to decapitator where you'll add in a little bit of saturation uh yeah. Yeah. At, and at that point that saturation is really just adding some upper upper mid harmonics to 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 get the pitch of the note to speak a little better as opposed to just some low-end rumble that's, kind of thing. And and when you oh, think that's, about that's what clipping really is from, a, let's, let's, you know, uh, imagine we're looking at a waveform of something clipping. It's basically squaring off the top of that waveform, right? So we're, we're basically chopping off that waveform to create the saturation, create the clipping sound. At that point, when you're squaring off a waveform, it could also be looked at as if you're limiting or compressing it. So you're adding these upper frequencies and it's acting like a compressor at the same time because it's not allowing, uh, it's literally clipping off the top of, of that waveform, which is sort of helping to create the upper uh, upper harmonics. And so it, is it clipping? Is it, uh, is it a compressor? Is it some weird combination of both? And the answer is yes, it is some weird combination of both that when added in in parallel creates something that just sticking another compressor on the bass track doesn't yield. Then that's super interesting. That, that's, a, that's a whole topic is, is parallel um, processing because, um, well, like I know you do quite a bit of it and um, uh, a Good, good engineer friend of mine, Bob St. John, was worked um, as an engineer for Tom Dowd one time. This is maybe in the 90s, and he was a two- or three-day project where Do Tom Dowd was the producer, and he was the engineer. And he had never really gotten into, like, he, he said he would have the snare, like, totally smashed on one fader and then completely natural yes, on the other that... and blend them together. <laughs> and he said it was like a light bulb went off in my head. It's like, oh, my God, you can, you can you know, mix them together and have something that has the has the, the wonderful right. and nature so I have a terminology you know? I have terminology for what that really is it's the difference between what I call additive sort of processing versus subtracting from a from a direct sound if you take a compressor and you stick it on the direct track and you compress it six you know six to one or eight to one or some crazy number to really limit the sound of it you're really only taking away right it, you're taking away dynamic range yep. and it makes things smaller. So if you do it in parallel and you don't touch anything on the direct track and you send it in parallel to an aux track and then you add, whether it's, you know, saturation uh, or, a, or a compressor or, or whatever it is, and do that, like you just said, to a bigger extreme. And by blending those together, those two things become, it becomes additive. So you're building the sound, you're not taking away from the sound. And it's at that point, it's really only finding... Uh, the balance between the two of them to yield the, a great result. So, uh, which, which is why I yeah, am brilliant. now yeah. such a fan of doing stuff in parallel. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. I mean, that's like a whole different world, and I think people, you know, that learn this are really happy and 
to to be able to use it. You know, it's like a, it's kind of never thought about it until I, he went. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, yeah. Yes. <laughs> until you see Tom Dow do it, you're like, oh my god. You know, I mean, think about when yeah, he was who, doing whoever like, would have guessed. You know, it's crazy. I mean, he was probably doing that like mixing the Allman Brothers live. I mean, it's like nuts. You know, so yeah, that's fantastic stuff. I mean, there's so many, so many tips and stuff. We can get into more geeky stuff next time. Um, but I enjoy doing this. And well, it's, great it's always you. a pleasure. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.